Well, good day to you. I'm Joel, one of the pastors, and we're in a series right now called Overcome. Everybody say Overcome. And we're going to look at what it, really, what it really means to overcome certain parts of our life. We're looking at the life of Joseph. Now, last week, we all know that uh, if you were here, I dove through and gave you a general overview of the book of Genesis um, and also the father of Joseph, Jacob, then renamed Israel. All right, so then Jacob was named what? All right, you got to remember this stuff. Um, we also, I was in the Guinness Book of World Record for giving the fastest summary of the book of Genesis ever. All right, I'm just like rolling with it. Um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, got to know this stuff. And then he has 12 sons, youngest being Benjamin. Joseph was um, there as well, the next youngest. And we start looking at their life and the significance of it as it set the course for so many different things. So many different things. And this week, we're going to start diving in to Genesis chapter 37. Now, Genesis 37 through 50 really is a summary of Joseph's life. And this week and next week as well, I'll dive into the second uh, portion of Genesis chapter 37. But this week is Genesis chapter 37, 1 through 11, giving you a little bit more background as well as we dive into it because it's important. Why? Because Jacob, the father of Joseph, had 12 sons that represent the tribes of Israel. Now, I'm not going to crazy detail here for you, but I do, you need to understand some of it. Um, you've got, you, you need to try to process this. My way of learning, I try to communicate it to others is if I can understand the big picture, I naturally have a desire to go deeper. So I want to give you this big picture so that you have a desire to then go deeper as you walk into the word of God. Let me show you this slide here about the sons of Jacob. Why? Because um, Jacob had a crazy dysfunctional family, right? So he, he had kids with four ladies, May God bless him. And I look at this and you see Leah and Rachel who are sisters and then their handmaids as well. Um, um, th this is important. Uh, Zebulun is actually should be listed up there with Leah as well. Zebulun. Um, we'll make sure we add that for the next one. I'm looking at that going. Zebulun should be up there. Um, so here you go. Okay. Here's Jacob having a lot of kids with all these different individuals and Joseph ends up, we know very, very shortly uh, that he is the favorite. Anybody here the favorite kid? Raise your hand if you're the favorite in the family. You just know it. Okay, it's good to just call it out. Call, call it out. What you just, what we just saw demonstrated is a lack of discretion. <laughs> Amen. What you just saw is a bunch of Josephs and you're gonna learn why here in just Oh, that's a good thing. Joseph, here's why it's a good thing. Joseph is one of the greats. Lived to be 110 years old. And he truly is one of the greats. Why? Because he's one of the few individuals that God used in such a significant way. With literally, We have over 100 parallels, we would say, between Joseph and Jesus. I've read through dozens and dozens of them. Because he's one of the greats that he didn't have anything in his life that was that glaring, oh man, Moses killed an Egyptian. That's an oh man, right? David, just everybody say Bathsheba. Done. 
right? A lot of these individuals that God used in wonderful ways had these glaring mistakes in their life that were enormous, significant stuff. We don't really, ha- we don't have that with the life of Joseph. Now he did some things you're about to see in Genesis chapter 37, one through 11, you're going to see some, I think some failure to have, anybody know someone who has a lot of IQ, intellectual like premise, but not that great with EQ, like relational stuff, right? Like all of you who just said, I'm the favorite. Hello. Right? Um, that, that would be one instant. All right, so we look at this. And so, but Joseph, he struggled, I think, sometimes with that discernment, but he didn't have a glaring thing in his life that said, he, he did what? He didn't really have that. So he has a significant life for us. He's one of the greats. He's someone without any noticeable wrongdoing, the big one, right? The big rock. And he put his faith in God. Um, we're going to see it through his life. When he was wealthy, he put his faith in God. When he was poor, he put his faith in God. When he was being praised, praised and adored, he put his faith in God. When he was being mocked and condemned, he put his faith in God. When people were watching him, he put his faith in God. And when people weren't watching him, he put his faith in God. Right? We know that often it's what you do behind the curtain when nobody is watching that speaks the most about you. I speak that to our pastors and our leaders here all the time in different avenues. I say, listen, who you are, I really don't care that you're working out with me right now and we're praying and we're talking about your family. I want to know what you're doing when I'm not doing this with you. When I'm not saying, hey, guess what? You're working out today and we're going to talk about what God's doing in your life because you're trying to lead a movement. And if God's not leading something in your life, it's real hard to help others identify how God's leading in theirs. But if you're only doing it when I have to make you do it, it doesn't really matter. Who you are behind closed doors. Joseph is a person who even behind closed doors, nobody's watching. He's still the guy who's striving to know God. Amazing person, dozens of parallels. And does it matter that yes, um, he has a lot of parallels to Jesus? Yeah, because I think that we're trying, aren't we trying to aim for Christ-likeness? Isn't that the goal, Christ-likeness? That's what we're trying to do. Well, one one of the places um, I would tell people, if you want to look at the parallels of the life of Joseph with Jesus, I would tell you to go um, to Romans chapter eight. One of the greats, right? It's one of the greats. Romans chapter eight. In fact, if you had the word of God, go ahead and turn there now. We'll get to Genesis 37 when we get to Genesis 37. Um, Romans chapter eight. Um, when we start looking at Romans chapter eight, I'll just very, very quickly if you go to verse 18. It says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Joseph is going to endure sufferings like being sold into slavery. His brothers actually wanted to kill him. His brother Reuben, you're going to find out next week, is the one who said, no, no, let's just throw him in the pit and then we'll sell him. Right? So um, he knew sufferings. He knew what it was for when he goes to Potiphar and he's working in Potiphar's household. All of a sudden his wife comes onto him. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to be thrown in prison. Things that we would go, wow, this guy knows hardship. But even in the midst of hardship, he knew that the ultimate goal was to be faithful to God and give God glory. Amazing stuff. When you continue to read through Romans chapter eight, if you jump down even to verse 26 and following, it says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And I have to imagine Joseph in his times of weakness that he was relying upon God. That's what we discover in his life. Not only do we see it there, but it 
also then verse 26 through 30 reminds us that God is in control and Romans chapter eight, verse 26, not only helping us in our weakness, but it reminds us as it reads through this, it says, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Joseph put the will of God above his own desires. I don't actually know how much we would like Joseph. Anybody heard of somebody being a goody two-shoes or a brown noser? How many of you grew up as a brown noser? Now raise your hand, right? You are that person, right? Showed up early for every class, sat on the front row in the middle and always had an apple on the desk. Anybody that person? Don't raise your hand, right? Sometimes are the people who, they're just, they're earnest. They're trying to grow. They're trying to learn, take, take every opportunity as one to grow in Christ. And yet we see them as a threat. We see them who make us uncomfortable because maybe we're not willing to do what they're willing to do in order to grow in Christ. And so Romans chapter eight helps us with that. I think what Romans eight teaches us is that some of us need to replace the lies of Satan with the truth of God. Some of us need to replace the lies of Satan in our hearts with the truth of God. And Joseph gives greater attention to God than to others. Joseph gave greater attention to God than to others. Joseph gave greater attention to God than to others. Do you give greater attention to the will of God in your life? Or do you give greater attention? Are you more consumed? Are you more wrapped up in what others may be thinking and what others may be saying? I think he lived out Romans 8, 37 and following. It says, right, Romans 8, 37, 38. Many of you, hopefully you've even memorized this, but it says, no, in all things, it tells us we are now more than conquerors. And Joseph is going to recognize that it's in the power of God that we're conquerors, not in the will of the flesh. It says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. That's good news. And Joseph lived that life. That was the life of Joseph. And so what it begins doing is in Genesis chapter 37, we're going to break this up into three different sections, verses one through four. Genesis 37, one through four. Will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of... These are the generations of, remember, he's also now, he's also named Israel. So Joseph being 17 years old was pashing the flock with his, he was a boy with the sons of, I just wanted to do it. I I didn't do it in the first service and I chose you, you're special. Um, uh, of Bilhah and Zilphah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. 
Hopefully you remember that. This is going to trigger some stuff. We'll get to it more in a little bit. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they what? Hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Everybody think about an ideal family. Picture perfect. You know what it is, right? Maybe it was Leave It to Beaver. Anybody know what that show is? All right. Um, That was a good one. Uh, And then it went Leave It to Beaver in the 80s, the Cosby show. Right. Um, Whatever your picture of the ideal family is, this is not it. Already we've jumped in and you got brothers hating each other, despising one another. They couldn't even, I love that in the end of verse four, it says they can't even speak peacefully to one another. So they can't do basic stuff without there being tension, no matter what. They can't, they can't get beyond self in order to move forward in life. Maybe you have that with people in your own life. Maybe they're families, maybe there's brothers or sisters. Maybe it's just friends that you have and you grew up with them. And now every time you see each other, you just can't help it. You come together for a dinner and you're like, we're not talking about the past. We're only moving forward. And somehow somebody says something about the past because you just can't get over it. Am I preaching to anybody yet? And so here we see this happening. Here's what you're going to learn though. I'm going to walk through some of these brothers. I'm going to walk through the life of Joseph a little bit. And this is what you're going to learn. One of the key themes for us is this, is that your past, present, or future, please hear this. Some of you just need to hear this and go away. Your past, present, future, good, bad, or indifferent, doesn't determine how God can work in and through you. Praise the Lord. Your past, the way you are neglected, doesn't mean the Heavenly Father neglected you. Your past, present, or future, good, bad, or indifferent things in your life doesn't determine if God can work in and through you. I'm so grateful for a redeeming God. I'm so grateful for a a restorative God. And there are too many of us who are allowing our past to determine our future rather than the will and the glory of God. So I just want to sit in that for a moment. Are some of you allowing your past with someone preventing you? Is that preventing you from moving forward with someone? Or maybe it's preventing you from moving forward with God and and understanding more of how God is wanting to utilize you to give him glory. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. You're going to see that life of Joseph and his brothers and the tension that is there that is created amongst them. Joseph begins as, of course, says Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what we see is that he's there and there's generations. And here's Joseph who's 17 and he's pasturing the flock with his brothers. And yet Joseph chooses to bring a bad report. This is the end of verse two. He chooses to bring a bad report back to his father and he rats his brothers out. Hey, the brothers aren't doing a good job. When I was growing up, that's called being a what? Tattletale. Back in my upbringing, it was before you would get arrested for things like this, you would get a beat down. No, seriously. Like, did you just tattletale on me? Like, did, did, did you just tattletale? Anybody else grow up with cherry bellies? 
Anybody know what that is? Raise your hand if you know. Really? Okay, that's a Southern thing then, I guess. Like where your brother, older brother, not that I love you, older brother, not holding anything against you, but I'm still a little bitter. Um, but hey, friends, hold my brother down. I'm going to lift his shirt and they beat your belly so much until it turns beet red, cherry belly. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Yeah. You're missing out. <laughs> if you were a tattletale, that's what, you, that's what would happen to you. Like they're just point blank. Like, you don't tattletale on someone. You don't, you don't go to your teacher after class and say, hey, by the way, all my friends around me, I saw them cheating. Like, that's a hard thing to do. I'm not saying I, I'm, it's rough. Tattletale. So here's Joseph, who's already hated by his brothers that tells us this. And part of the reason is he goes and he tattletales on them. Already, you see Joseph stepping in. He's unpopular amongst his brothers. In fact, even J- Jacob, Israel, gives him that tunic, that, that cloak of many colors. Why is that significant? Because what it did is it symbolized favoritism. And it symbolized that he was the one who had prestige. Often it would denote the fact that it would be a long cloak that would stand them apart. Really what it meant was, hey, I don't want this guy to do the physical labor. They're going to watch you and make sure that you do it. And now you have a bunch of older brothers. We know that the older brothers are always typically, typically elevated above the youngest. That's why Jacob's life was so significant because he was the youngest out of Esau, but he stole his birthright. Remember that from last week? And so now what you have is one of the younger, the youngest outside of Benjamin actually having this authority and this favoritism and they don't like it. It's something that's creating attention there and it's dramatic. And all of a sudden you see this garment being given to him that is that privilege, that status. And so this is occurring and it tells us in verse four, when his brother saw that their father, especially through that robe of many colors, that tunic being given to him. It tells us in verse four, his brother saw that their father loved him more than all of his other brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. This is, this is the, the groundwork of the life of Joseph. For some, it's the groundwork in your life. Maybe you have tension with a brother or a sister or a friend or a colleague, someone, and that is dictating how you move forward with them. But they've taken advantage of me. Yeah, but at some point we've got to be able to move beyond that. But you don't understand, they're the favorite and I've worked so hard at this and yet they still keep getting everything. I've been here for 10 more years, 15 more years at this company and I have been nothing but loyal in a society in which there is no loyalty. And now that same guy who's 10 years younger than I am gets a promotion and I don't, it's not fair. They took my ideas and implemented them, didn't even give me credit. I tried not to be a tattletale and now all of a sudden they're getting the promotion? This is the type of relationship we're looking at here amongst Joseph and his brothers. And then it continues on in verse five and following. It says, now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves, that's wheat stalks, okay? So we were binding wheat stalks in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed 
to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Now, in the very least, Joseph steps in and he shows a lack of discretion, discernment, tact. He already knows that his brothers hate him. He already knows that part of the reason is he's seen as a favorite. And so then he steps up one day and says, hey, guys, guess what? I had a dream. And you know what we do every day? You guys, well, you guys every day go out and take up the wheat uh, stalks because I'm watching to make sure that you do it well because I have the tunic and you don't have the tunic. And I saw all of them bowing down to me. Isn't that cool? Like process this. This is what he's communicating to other people. And he's saying, hey, I just want to let you know, by the way, I'm going to be above all of you. So he's communicating this dream to his brothers about the brothers bowing down before him. And they knew the meaning because they, they lived with this every single day. Here's, here's one way to think. Here's an image for you to better look at to help you see it. He's going to have two dreams that we're going to explore. One is the sheaves and the next one is going to be the stars. And so here are the sheaves, six through eight, that stood, here he is in the center, standing upright while every, all the other sheaves around him bowing down. They would have resonated with this so deeply. Why? Because they'd lived it, like I said previously, every day. For some, like, who, who's a person in this last week? Anybody here go and collect all the sheaves? No. One, because we live in Michigan and it's winter. Two, not many of us do this. And if we do this, it's machines doing it today. They would have lived this out day after day. This would have been their life. So as soon as Joseph would have been saying this, I mean, you want to talk about resonating deeply. It would have resonated deeply in their heart and in their mind. They would not have only seen it in their mind. They would have lived it the day before. And so here he is having this dream and they're struggling with it. There's a little bit, we have an advantage because we already know in Genesis chapter 42, verse six, also in Genesis chapter 43, we'll get to it in a couple months or whenever we get to it. We already know this comes to, to fruition. When they come to Egypt later on, there's a famine, remember? All right. We already know that they're going to end up bowing down before him. But at the time, I tell you what, have you ever been through something really hard and someone comes to you and says, God can use it, it'll get better. And you just want to punch them in the schnoz. Because when you're walking through the hard, sometimes you don't remember to trust in God. But yeah, but hey, buddy, I know though, this is really tough. This is really difficult, but you just do the godly until your heart catches up. Remember that one? And so just keep doing the godly until your heart catches up because I know it's hard and I know that you feel like they're, they're taking advantage of you and that they don't appreciate you and they're actually robbing from you and they're doing this and they're doing this and they're doing this, but just be faithful and God can use that to give him glory and you just want to take that person and, and, and kind of simultaneously hug them and punch them because it's hard to hear when you're walking through the difficulty. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's really hard to go, I know that I've lost a loved one. I know that I've lost a friend. I know that maybe you've lost a child and they go, yeah, but God can use it. And you just go, shut up. But here, 
you look at this, and even though it's going to come true later on, it's got to be so incredibly hard for these brothers. But that's one of the things I think we have to look at. Uh, I think we want to look like Joseph. I think we elevate him. But I, I got to be honest with you. I think the majority of us can sometimes identify more with the brothers who betrayed him. Now, I know we don't like this because um, I showed you a, a slide before of all the children, right? Of all the sons of Jacob. And one of the things that I've never heard is a sermon, uh, much less a three-month series on Gad or Asher. But we'll do the series on Joseph. So I need to spend at least a little bit of time understanding and helping us recognize that our desires look like Joseph, but some of us, more look, we look more like the brothers because of the things in their life. So they're hearing all of this. They don't like it. They're the older brothers. They don't like the fact that Joseph, the younger brother, is getting all of this attention and they're going to make a thing of it. In fact, here's a question that maybe we need to ask is when you hear something that's not favorable to you, how do you respond? They just heard a bunch of stuff not favorable to them, by the way. Your brother's going to rule over you. What? Oh, here's the cloak, by the way, to give him authority over you pretty much. Oh, don't like that either. How do you respond when you hear something that's not favorable to you? What does that look like to you? Do you, do you bow up? But that's not what I want. And so somebody says, hey, you need to do this. I, I've met so many people in my life, right? And some of them are still struggling to move beyond that God could do something in their life that's beyond their comfort. Guys, it's when you, being a Christian is not about being comfortable. Can I go ahead and just say that again? Being a Christian is not about being comfortable. Some of you so badly want to live in your comfort and this is the way the world works and this is how the society works. And now even his brothers are recognizing that way God is about to work in a new way, in a different way. And I may not like it, but it doesn't mean it's not of God. You not liking something doesn't mean it's not of God. And so we start to process that and we go, wait, then how should we respond when the word of the Lord brings us something hard? And one of the things you will not see me do is act like that's always easy because I think back on things in my own life with my own wife even and the things that we have sometimes had happen and I just go, that's not right. But we live in a fallen world and it doesn't mean that God can't use it. One of the things that we learn from Joseph is that we know that God can take the most difficult of days and if surrendered to him, he can still use them to shape us and to grow us and to give him glory. Joseph models that. But his brothers don't. Why? Two words. I'll dive in more next week to this probably. I'll give you two words to write down. Why is it that we often look like his brothers more than Joseph? Jealousy, envy. Jealousy and envy. You're going, well, how do you know that? Well, how about the love chapter? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Maybe you've heard that before. If you've been to a wedding, you likely have heard it. It's not really about marriage. This is about just the way that we should love everybody if we love Jesus, by the way. But it's a great one to read at marriages. But we already know 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. I don't think Joseph was even really boasting about his dreams. I just don't think he had any EQ. 
Love doesn't envy. It's not envious. It's like, oh, wow. can you, are you really truly joyful for someone when something happens in their life that maybe you want and you haven't received? Uh, what I'm not saying is that it makes it easy for you. But what I am saying is that we should have joy for others, excitement for others, that they get to have certain things, that they get to do certain things, that God could be using them. I'll go very carefully into one of these areas. A couple of people I knew and they're close friends. They got married to people pretty much at the same time. They wanted to have kids at the same time, let them grow up together, etc. And they just couldn't have kids. And the, and the friend was having kids left and right, like seven of them in like two years. Like, right? Like, I know the math doesn't work, but whatever. And what I'm not doing is making light of not being able to have kids. Hear me, please hear me say that. But I know, I trust that God can use the most difficult of difficulties to help shape us and grow him, grow us for his glory. I know that. I believe that. I'm not saying it's easy. I know that. But sometimes that focus on self can make it hard for us to celebrate with someone else. Because one of the things that we don't ever pick up on here is this. Can I tell you what we don't pick up on? His brother's going, oh, God's going to use you in this powerful way. That's so amazing. It's so cool. Joseph, man, knuckles, buddy, fist bump. You're the guy, man. Like God's going to use you to do some really cool things. Anybody see that in the text? That's why I think we have to examine here who, we, who are we actually most like. Or somebody comes to you and this has happened to me like, but, but Pasha, you don't know what I've been through. And I'm like, I, yeah, but do you know what I've been through? Do you know my loss? Do you know my hurt? People who have taken advantage of me, do you know? Do you, but at the end of the day, as long as I can surrender that to God and trust in him, he can use that to shape me and to give him greater glory. Here's one of the ways that you know if you struggle with jealousy or envy. This is because I think this is the bell to ring. Okay. Is whether or not you have a desire to celebrate often reveals your heart. That's what you have to know. If you have a desire to truly celebrate with others and their victories and their successes, and that's hard because you have to almost go and internally go, do I, am I really happy for them? Or am I saying I'm happy because I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm actually really perturbed and bothered and because I'm not sleeping as well because I'm thinking that's not fair. Right? Have I, have I gone personal enough? Yeah, but they have this and they have this. So the first dream he tells them is like, hey, all these sheaves, wheat stalks, I'm going to be in the middle standing up. All of you guys are going to bow to me. How cool is that? And they hated him. 
Second dream, verse 9 to 11. He says this, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. Now, right away, you would have gone. It should say, then he dreamed another dream and he learned from yesterday and he kept it to himself. But he doesn't do that. Already it's told us more than once, his brothers hate him. They can't speak into verse four. They can't even speak to him peacefully. Anybody had kids, you say, go do the dishes. You got two kids that go do the dishes. They can't even clean the dishes without arguing about how clean the dishes are. Anybody had this before? They can't even do that peacefully. And so knowing that tension, ah, he has another dream. Dreamed another dream, told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, these guys were smart enough to know how many brothers were there? 12. He's one of them. 11 stars. But when he told it to his father, so now he's including his father as well as his brothers. Like I'm telling you, EQ is not present. Lack of discernment, maybe. I don't know. I'm just like, ah. His father, when he hears this, rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. Oh, I just said jealousy and envy. There, there it is. And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. He just moved. He moved from sheaves. Let's go back to this image. Because what he does is he moves from sheaves to stars. He's moving to heavenly bodies. And he's calling out even the number of stars and that even his father and his mother would bow before him. Significant. Why? Because we know God can speak through dreams, right? But sometimes interpreting those dreams can be incredibly hard. But this is pretty direct. It's like, oh, yeah, know what that one means. And there's no like, hey, I think I hear it this way and I think I hear it this way. It's just, this is what it is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be that guy and you're not, but this is good for me, right? And now his father, Jacob, Israel, is hearing this and even Jacob is offended. Even Jacob is offended saying, oh, hang on, culturally speaking, this doesn't happen. So sometimes our lack of seeing God work in a, specific, in a specific manner keeps us from understanding that God can still work in any manner. And Jacob's saying, no, this, this, this doesn't happen like this. Are you saying that even I will come and bow down before you? Will bow before you to the ground and so now he's even offended his father. Right, I'll tell you, I, I do believe that this is, I think 37 is when Joseph starts really speaking about what happened in his life. We know that his mom actually died in chapter, Genesis chapter 35, but this is a, a, a recourse of here comes Joseph coming and saying, hey, here's what happened. So chronologically, don't get too caught up in that. Just want to acknowledge it. But now his father's even saying, what, what's going on here? You see, sometimes God can speak into our life 
And we can hear things that we don't like. That's why I'm asking, are we more like Joseph or are we more like the brothers? Like, where are you in the jealousy envy thing? Now, so often what I have learned in life is that when someone says, I don't like such and such, it's often one of the greatest culprits is jealousy and envy. We won't call it that. Well, yeah, but you don't know what they did. What did they do? I mean, really? That, oh, so that created you not liking them? Because, no, it's often jealousy and envy. And some of us can't fully embrace the, the covenant of God and trusting in God in our own life because we don't like the way that God's working it out. I don't think the brothers probably like the way that God was working it out. We know what's going to occur. We know that they're going to end up next week, we'll talk about it, selling him into slavery, even though the majority of the brothers all but one wanted to kill him. But Reuben then comes and says, no, let's just throw him and put him in this pit. And I just go, wait, what would it look like for us to recognize that sometimes the desires of the flesh don't align with the will of God? And so what would it look like if the will of God actually mattered so much to us that we were willing to absorb the things that we don't understand differently. And instead of allowing them to turn into jealousy and envy, we allow it to turn into opportunity to watch God work. Right? It's the person who can have the joy of the Lord and trust in God in the midst of the hardship that often is the greatest witness. I see a bunch of brothers who missed an opportunity. I see a bunch of brothers because of their jealousy, because of their envy, they miss an opportunity to recognize that God could be doing a new work, a new thing. Simply because God isn't choosing to work how you've always seen him work doesn't mean that God isn't working. It doesn't mean that he's not moving. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want to use your life and your marriage and your family and your friendships to do something that maybe you haven't seen before, but God can redeem. He can use anything he wants to. And some of us are so busy saying it's not fair rather than saying, watch God do this. Watch God use my hurt. Watch God use my pain. Watch God use the difficulty in my life to do amazing things, to give him glory and to bring him attention. We need more people like that. So my question remains the same. Are we more like Joseph or are we more like his brothers? What an incredible opportunity we have to overcome the jealousy, to overcome the envy, to overcome the hostility, to overcome the way we see hardship. The dreams that we see here, the first and the second, the dreams were simple evidence of God's divine blessing. I don't think that they were about human ambition. I don't, I don't think Joseph is sharing them and go, look at me, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. I think they were about a divine appointment, a divine blessing that God had in store. So sometimes when we look at others and we grow in our jealousy and we grow in our envy, we're actually 
preventing ourselves from seeing with clarity that God is wanting to do a great thing. And we keep ourselves from participating in it. Don't keep yourself from participating in the work of God. Don't keep yourself from participating in the work of God because your sinful jealousy and pride and envy is getting in the way of seeing God do a new thing. Do you look more like Joseph or do you look more like his brothers? God, I come before you and I thank you for how we see you work, for how we see you move, for how we see you interact with your people. Remove any jealousy that we may have in our life or envy or problems that we may have with others so that maybe then we can more fully and clearly see your will and your way and your desire. In Christ's name, I pray all things.